A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode, and I'll look back at Joss Whedon's iconic shows. I'm MC, and I'm here with... It's Andy! It's David! It's Jan! We've uh, gotten to season three, and we're talking about... We're talking about episode one, Anne, which originally aired September 29th, 1998, and was written and directed by Joss Whedon. Uh, like, one of the first things I noticed about this episode is that I think Joss went to directing boot camp over the summer, because this episode is much better directed. I have the exact <laughs> same note. I'm like, did he yes. watch Becoming over and over and over and over to see his mistakes? You know, like, to, like, really, like, okay, this is what I need to improve on, because it is so much improved. This is more like when people think of Joss Whedon directing, this episode is much more on the ball for him. Yeah. I mean, of course, we've talked about in Becoming Part 2 that they they changed the stock starting in Season 3. But, I mean, that... It does show, but that certainly doesn't affect the actual shooting of, like, the composition of shots and... Right, you know, exactly. <laughs> the hiding of stunt doubles, and so it's like, Joss, you you, you done good. Yeah, the, yeah the, well, the changing of stock is really noticeable, and it's really nice. Um, it looks yeah. everything just looks so much crisper, and you don't have that grainy aspect that you have in season one and two. And it's obvious that their budget went up. Yeah. Though I do think budgets for premieres and finales are a little higher than maybe. I mean, just in general, on, on many shows, they. Yeah. They use a lot of their budget. I was say, yeah, they usually do that because they really want to grab people in at the beginning and then at the end again. So I mean, the, bu- the budget went up in general for the whole series, I think, because things do yeah. start looking a lot cleaner, a lot nicer. There's, I love this episode. I'm just going to say that first and foremost. I think it's my favorite season opener. I'm just going through the season yeah, openers too. in my head. Yeah, I actually think I would agree with that. Sometimes Buffy premieres are not, you're like, I was, I remember being so excited for so many of the premieres and just being like, huh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. Yeah, I, this one is just yeah. clips along. It's such a, it's, the pacing is perfect. The direction is so much mm-hmm. better. And as we get into the yeah, individual it- scenes, there's. A lot of the things that I see in this episode, I'm going to see in Joss Whedon's directing going forward and a lot of his signature style and the way he likes to do shots come come together in this episode. So we'll talk about that as we get yeah. there. Uh, we start out the episode in the graveyard oh. with the guy crawling out of his grave. And um, this is the official start of we're not even going to pretend Allie Hannigan isn't gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like they've just given yeah. up. Yeah. And she cut her hair, I think, too. It looks like yeah. she did, yeah. She cut it, it and it's great. officially red now because she was, you know, still kind of brownish red in mm-hmm. the last season, but now she's just flat out red. Yeah, she looks great. I'm going to write that off as, you know, she's got a boy, you know, uh, Willow has a boyfriend now, therefore she's really pushing the I look gorgeous kind of thing. So she's glowing and happy because she's involved. So. 
That's why she's so much more beautiful. Because she has a boyfriend? People don't get more beautiful just because they get a boyfriend. Sorry. I'm being facetious. No, I'm saying in terms of like, you know, TV visuals and stuff. It's like, oh, well, I, I th she took off her glasses. You're beautiful, Miss Rosenberg. You know, that trope. Yeah, I, th I think part of it might have to do with the higher budget. Truth. The fact that it's like, we, you know, yeah. let's not dress her in Sears clothing because in <laughs> Welcome to the Hellmouth, she really was dressing in clothing from Sears. Mm. And, and and in terms of, like, I just think they decided to elevate the, the hair and makeup on, on her a lot while still giving her yeah. her signature quirky Willow style, but like more yeah. of it um, in a like yeah. delightful way. But yeah, they... Let's stop pretending that Will is not hot, right? Yeah, and I think with uh, the show becoming more popular, and this was kind of by this point, they the cast were getting on the covers of like Teen People and all those different magazines. Mm. It's like they wanted to show off the fact that you know, oh, you know, Willow and Xander are real cuties. You yeah, know, let's not oh, yeah. make them all you know geeky and nerdy for the show. We have an attractive cast. They became real. WB teams. Yeah. Instead yeah. of, you know. In this opening scene, I noticed actually Xander kind of looks like Matt Dillon from certain angles. Huh. I had oh, never noticed that before, yeah. but it's like, I was looking, I was like, wait, he looks like some, oh, he looks like Matt Dillon. Also, around this time, it was, they went from being like, the WB was slowly growing their list of shows and things happening, especially with Dawson's Creek being kind of a hit around the same time where they were right. really promoting their actors and which they have continued all the way to being CW, right? This whole blue steel, like, um, yeah. If you've ever seen promos for supernatural, you know what I'm talking about with the blue steel. Like that's all it is. It's yeah. just them being blue steel for 13 seasons. Um, so yeah. Um, Allie looks great. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, I mean, if you look at the promos for, uh, the promo pictures from season two to season three, there's just a world of difference. Uh, just in the number of them and the quality of them, where the season two ones are all like, we're going to stand in front of a brick wall mm -hmm. and it's going to be dark. And, you know, you can't find any high quality versions of them because they don't exist. Even the DVD sets, the menus get like cooler. Except I, I miss the on the on the season two DVD, the season one. It, people's DVDs aren't like this anymore. There's a like shot of an animatronic great animatronic no illegal animatic graveyard that opens up into the menus. Mm -hmm. They still okay. have that a little bit, but it's not the same. It's the same graveyard they use in the Buffy video game, actually, but um, that they use for the Buffy video game. But even the DVD sets are a little the way they you know go into the menus. There, there's a shift. There's a shift in the look of the show. Yeah, uh, and there's also a shift in the, the Scooby Gang. Yeah, uh, we have Oz as Yay! you know. <laughs> yes, he's in the credits. And uh, yes, he is in the credits. But uh, before that, we see him. Uh, in fact, the actually the shot of him throwing the stake is in the credits already. That is, it the, is in the best <laughs> thing ever. I am so. And of course, so it looks delayed. so much cooler in the credits. Just, right, don't, right. Don't do that. Because you don't know that it doesn't land in the credits. He just looks badass. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, oh. that's, that's like very Joss, but it's a really good joke, too. I just yeah. Think. I'm glad that the Scoobs are going out there to try to cover for Buffy, but they really don't put much effort into catching They're that vampire. So great, though. The scene they are just... really bad at it. 
this scene though is just this such a delightful this is why this is my favorite season opener that first scene is just delightful and from the moment it starts you're sort of like okay because it gives a re-entry into the this is show is funny and then you're gonna get the juxtaposition of the stuff that buffy's going through which is not funny you know not that buffy's not funny in this episode she's fucking hilarious but you know what I mean? It's just, it, it's a, it's a, that cold open is a grabber, you know, for someone just tuning in. It's like, well, I don't know who these people are, but it sure is funny. And the dialogue's great. Yeah, and also you, you yeah, and you think they're going to be so badass because, oh, they're Buffy's friends. And then all of a sudden they're not so badass and you've got the gymnastic, that whole gymnastic thing with the vampire. And it just, it sets up everything. Really yeah. Well. And it's mm-hmm. nice that they call out the acrobatics. Yeah. 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 For the first and last time. Yes. And and this is an episode with a lot of, like, call-outs to tropes. Like, later, Cordelia will mention that Xander is attracted to monsters. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, so this is, I think this is the episode where they're like, we're gonna try and be a little more serious about this and call out the stuff we used to let slide. Yeah. And I think that lasts about five minutes, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the writing, I mean, say what you will about Jaws, he, his dialogue is freaking spectacular. I mean, it's yeah, really, it's, I like the quippiness. I love that. But he also sort of gets some really great character interaction. So I just really, yeah. But I hate Xander in this scene. Oh, wait, it's the time to hate Xander. Ba, 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 ba. Xander time. Cause, oh, yeah. Like, why isn't he excited to see Cordelia? I'd be excited to see Cordelia. He's like, I'm even excited to see Cordelia. Well, she's your fucking girlfriend. It's, yeah, it, yeah, it, that did seem really odd. Where it's like, oh, well, like, have you guys like not talked over like w- at all? Like, why not? Like, well, it seems like they haven't broke up. That's the thing. It seems like yeah. that maybe because she was in Mexico. I mean, true that. I mean, it's not like we had great international cell phone calling plans at this point, or or for that matter, as far as as far as Bucky's concerned, anyway, cell phones. Well, yeah, yeah, right. I mean. But, but I mean, in Cordelia's case, she could have, I mean, there are like letters. There were still, there was, there was the post, there were postcards. So it's just odd that there was like literally no interaction. Between yeah. Them. Like weird thing. And it, I feel like it's all just a setup for. It is. It's, like, it's total setup. It's total setup. Later. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it, it doesn't quite make sense. But again, this is Buffy logic. So. Yeah. Uh, it, but I mean, like the scene is fairly lighthearted, but it immediately switches into like this very dark and depressing scene with Buffy, which is you know, like wordless. You know, it's just Oh wait, no, it's the Buffy and having her dream and then Right. Mm-hmm. Is that like I'm getting things right. Yeah, it goes, it goes, yes. it goes to the, the dream. dream. Yeah, because the, yeah, the first thing we see her, they like, where is Buffy? And then we see her on the beach. So. Yeah. yeah. And then of course we get the the as usual horrid bangle dialogue <laughs> it's like if i was blind i would see you oh my god please like, shut up what? a shut up b that's were it's the subjunctive damn it okay so i will give it i mean yeah it's totally i wrote it's totally cheesy but it's also a dream or is yes. it there 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 yeah. are many fan speculations during this time period that when angel shows up in the dreams especially because he's in sunlight it's a representation of his soul pushing through to talk to Buffy. I remember, do you, MC, do you remember reading these theories at all? I 
I mean, there might have been something like that when the show was first airing mm. and people didn't know what they were going right, to do. Right, how they were Angel. bringing him back. Yeah. yeah there, Even there though was, they, he, he is in the credits. He is. We, yeah, I mean, we knew like, he was coming back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like they're not hiding that very hard. So. No. Right, it's at this point, yeah. it's how are they bringing him back, not are they bringing him back. And a lot of shows have done this. Yeah. Something has gotten spoiled or someone says... You know, the, yes, this cast member's coming back. We're just not going to be that mean to you guys, you know, out there in TV land. It's just how they're coming back and not when. Or when and how and not, you know, that they are coming back. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, if we're looking at it now, we still don't know how Angel comes back. That's true. I mean, That's like, true. Yeah, um, I do think that it's just Buffy's dream and it's just some, you know, it's your typical bangle dialogue and we've had worse we'll have better it is schmaltzy but it is a dream i didn't notice buffy's wearing some really heavy makeup for sleeping yeah yeah I, I'm, I'm trying to explain it that maybe she was really tired and just kind of crashed out on her bed before mm. and because i mean she's waking up in the middle of the night so buffy is so like 1990s in terms of hair and makeup in this episode it was just like you know, you could peg exactly when this was. Going I out. like the brown eyes. Love her. I, I love, love her hair. hair. The first half of the season, I love it. I love it, and I love her pink slip yeah. dress on the beach. Like I wanted to wear those so badly throughout the '90s, and they just like shit on me. Yeah, even like even like the way her hair was highlighted was like that was like the kind of chunky highlights at the time. I just I wanted my hair to look like that only in reds, and I never no. could get it. So I'm just like jealous. But like I said, you could just this just like reeks. Not not reeks because that's that's a negative connotation. I was like really excited. I was like, yeah, this is like so nineties couture, and I love it. So. Right, and and I, you know, Buffy obviously makes enough money at the diner to get one hundred fifty dollars highlights. <laughs> right, because yeah, <laughs> those highlights were not cheap. Believe me. Yeah. No, because there was like a lot of chunking and a lot of like. Sarah's layer, so beautiful. Uh, she, I mean, the yeah. dream sequence, the bangle dialogue. She's is bad, stunning in this. She's freaking stunning. Yeah. I, I was actually hypothesizing that maybe Buffy sold some of her clothes because I mean we saw it in Becoming Part Two that she empties out True. her all yeah. of her stuff, yeah, and that apartment is I mean it's not huge but it's not the worst. No, she's not living in a slum anywhere. Yeah, I was wondering like where did she get the money to pay for this uh, this mm-hmm. fairly decent like studio apartment? TV. Is it is it ever stated where this is? Buffy is living in the south side of downtown Los Angeles. Hmm. Uh, and the intersection where she gets hit by the car is the corner of 11th and Broadway. I know nothing huh. about Los Angeles. I've been there like twice. One time when I was two. So, you know, there's that. Mm-hmm. I know parts of Los Angeles, but I don't actually know downtown LA. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she's living in a nice no, area, no. but mm-hmm. it's... No, there are worse areas she could be in, though. Yeah. But this isn't a good yeah, area right. for kids. It is not, says Ken. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So uh, we get to the opening credits, and I actually think new version of the opening credits. I think this is my favorite it's great. out of yeah, all of the opening credits. Yeah. And it's okay, good. part of it might be because Seth Green is in it. For sure. <laughs> but there, there are just so many iconic mm-hmm. shots in this opening credit, like the scene of her running down the hall and becoming, scene of her with the Hungamunga, uh, Nikki and the the Speedo. Cordelia's surprise. The um, willow with the monkey and the bronze. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Giles with the 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 flower. With the, I know. Sorry. No. I know the thing with the flower. 
that episode has wrecked us all, but the way they inner the way it goes in in the credit sequence is really just like Giles, like I'm suave and smelling a flower. Like <laughs> I've always thought that with the like rose thing, because it does. It's like I am sexy, Giles, smelling my flower. Um, look at me. Like, he's going to come out with a Spanish accent. He's like, ah, I'm Giles. Look at my <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you knew it. Giles. Yeah, yes. I'm just glad the lo- rocket launcher makes it in. Yes, the rocket yes, launcher. Of course yeah, it makes it. Technically, yeah. the rocket launcher is in there twice. Yes. Because yeah. they have them carrying the box. True, see that. And this is also a uh, different version mm-hmm. of the Buffy theme than they've had on previous seasons, probably because they needed to lengthen it. I know the answer to that. Maybe. Okay, so yes. if you listen to the original Buffy theme and you listen to this new version, um, there are some spots, because it was like a really quick recording of Nerf Herder when they needed a theme song, the beats yeah. are off. Like the tempo changes. Like it was like the, oh. it wasn't in the recording. Yeah. Nerf Herder didn't stay on tempo through the entire, like, it's consistent tempo through the entire first recording. Mm. So they re-recorded right. it for season three, so it's all in the correct tempo the whole time. Interesting. I, I know Ooh. stuff. You know, I think, I, I, I think I thought that was intentional. It's not. It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> they just recorded it so okay. quick and dirty that they didn't. It slows down a little at the end. Like, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's not in the same tempo the whole time, so they re-recorded it. Right. First of all, it's a better mix, right? It's a better mm. mix, and two, it's because yeah. there were some flaws in the original recording. So there you go. That is why. Thanks, Andy Nose. The first bit uh, coming back, that's uh, Buffy as the waitress, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, the only thing that I really have to say about this scene, other than the fact that Buffy's life seems to suck. And her pigtails are totes adorbs. Mm. They she are. Looks so cute. But bringing back Chanterelle slash Lily slash Anne, and I always think of her Me as too. Anne. Mm-hmm. So fucking random, but also brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I think Julia Lee does a fantastic job with this character. Because I mean, we only see her, I think, four times, but every time you see her, you see like this evolution of this character. Mm-hmm. And it's. It- and it's amazing, and she does a really good job in it's, this. It's one of my yeah. favorite surprises over on Angel. Like, that they even thought to bring back this, like, exceptionally minor character. And you find out yeah. what happens to her, and it's... Uh, you know what? I role-played. I did some role-play for a while. Probably, it was around season... It was right between season three and season four, and then I had to quit because my classes got hard. And my my, I, I, my character was Lily... Lillian is what I was calling her, and and uh, it was I mean it's Lily, it was Lily and oh. Anne, and like it was a college RP, and so it, like she got her act together and got a GED, and she was joining the gang at Sunnydale, at UC Sunnydale, and as Buffy's roommate. Okay. So like I, I didn't get to okay. RP for very long. It was I really cute. So I like have a deep love for Anne, and I have a deep love for her over on Angel and how she's taken this trauma that she experienced and really did something so wonderful and productive with it. So I love her. Yeah, we will definitely be talking about her a lot once we get to uh, Blood Money and the Thin Deadline. 
I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's so weird. Like, cause she was on the show for set on the shows for seven years because wow. she shows up in season two of Buffy and she's in the last episode of Angel. Mm. Oh, it's like it's such a it's Ford's random lackey who I could never even remember her name in the first in the oh um, I, I in think Lina she's May. so fun in that too actually in Lie to Me she's just this like but, dopey um yeah. but it's it's a mushroom it's so easy to remember well it wasn't until right. this episode that I actually remembered what her name in Lie to Me um, was just oh see I was things I did not know. Because I just went up and looked at Julia Lee on IMDb. She is from Santa Fe, New Mexico. That's why she's so good. But yeah, yeah, so we're introduced to Lily and Ricky, and uh, we, we never do really. We never do learn her actual name, no. do we? Uh, it, it was in the script, but it was never actually ah. stated on screen. Her real name was Joan Appleby. Oh right. Okay. I can yeah. see why she right. changed. It. I remember that. Yep. Yeah, I did not know that. So news to me. I was going to say that just it was driving me crazy because I knew the guy who played Ricky looked really familiar. He actually was on True Blood later on as uh, part of like a witch coven and stuff. So I guess he he was sort of involved with uh, you know supernatural stuff. Question for MC. I you know I'd have to go back to that. Well, you may not know either, but it just occurred to me during that scene. Do we do we see Anne again later on Angel? wearing short sleeves yes actually it is pointed out that in uh blood money that she does not have the the ricky tattoo nor does she have a scar indicating that she had it removed which she most definitely would because red ink is ridiculously hard to remove so yeah Mm. plus it's a a really big tattoo yeah like a small thing that might have gone away so yeah so yeah there's that but um and the, the thing that I really want to talk about this episode and the thing that tells me that Joss went to boot camp, the one or at Yes, the it's in my notes too, for sure. Yes. I, it's the, yes, the water the pro- is everything. And he, you, he loves, he loves that Steadicam oneer so much. He will most famously yeah. use it. And it's a cheated oneer, which is totally fine. If, if anyone's seen, I think you all have maybe... The opening sequence of Serenity. Joss loves... I mean, it's not as iconic of the tracking shot as, let's say, Goodfellas or Boogie Nights, which is a fully unbroken, brilliant Steadicam sequence. But yeah, it, yeah, this one in the hallway is freaking great with all the characters popping in and out. It's so... Interestingly, this does predate West Wing. Oh, I know. It it's does. Right. It's a really yeah. good walk and talk. Yeah. Um, there are, it's not yeah. a full one or there are some cuts in there, but no, but still, still, even so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but overall, yeah. As long as the audience doesn't notice, mm-hmm. that's fine. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. but actually I have to say though, this scene does hit one of my big pet peeves. Mm-hmm. What? Giles uh, and Willow talking at oh, full right, volume yeah. about mm-hmm. vampires <laughs> while surrounded by a bunch of civilians. <laughs> I'm just like. Ah! Yes, yes, you're right. I think at this point they've just given up trying to hide, and we do find out that everybody kind of knows. Yeah. 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 Um, But yeah, this scene lasts about three and a half minutes, 
Uh, it is. It does say that it's filmed in a single. Oh, take. is it a single take? Okay. Yeah, and there's the six main actors in the scene, about a hundred extras, and nearly fifty lines of dialogue. It's great. It's yeah. Joss went to some kind of boot camp because it's. No, I mean, like he really. Uh, maybe he just spent his entire summer watching really good movies by really good directors. And Julian and Julian Temple music videos. Truth. Um, Loved, loved one shots. Um, but uh, MC, is there any stats on how many takes they had to do? I did not find that. I would have liked to. Because I'm curious to see how how long it took to actually. Make I don't it know if your actors are if, and that kind of stuff has to be rehearsed. You can't just wing that. So oh, if yeah. your actors are well rehearsed and your steady cam person, and they, you know, once they got to mid season two, they had a very consistent crew on the show. There's not a lot of changing. And so if you if you've got yourself pre-planned, it's a lot of work. And I'm sure they had to do more than one take, but it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. And I mean, like there's there's so much like people coming in and out of the the scene. And like you have Willow and Oz like walking through and then they leave and then Larry comes in. Larry! And it's it's Larry. Larry. And that line of Larry's is iconic. It is. Less mysterious Though I do, I do want to know how he's still able to play football if he's had to come back to Sunnydale for another year because he should be on academic probation. What? Oh, he... oh, Larry was the same age as Oz. Oh. Because in phases, he's like, you know, dating a junior or whatever. Um, right. So he was obviously a senior. Uh, so he's repeating the year two. And also that's backed up by the Sunnydale High yearbook where it says, you know, congratulations on finally, you know, um, finishing. Because um, Sunnydale High School and player? the school board of the Sunnydale High School or the Sunnydale soup is, is terrible. terrible. Maybe they just yeah. really wanted Larry to be able to play. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm assuming he was such an exceptional player that they let him do it. As long as he like you know didn't fail completely because they needed to win those or games. they and just yeah, I mean, they were but he did fail completely that's why he's repeating the grade or no no I mean when he comes back well Sunnydale High is canonically and ad- administratively lax yeah <laughs> I mean look at us it's like you know he just didn't feel like going to summer school so he came back I mean. Again. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's so great because you find out Oz is coming back and it's such a cheesy way. Of course, Oz has to go to, I mean, he has to go to school with them. There's no other way. I mean, there are other ways to write it, but in terms of the storytelling and it's such a cheesy way, but it works. The dialogue kind of works right there. And, and Seth's delivery is just like, yeah, so about the summer school and the, he's like, this is the thing that's happening, Willow. I feel like with this scene, we actually get a really honest view of Oz yeah. that I don't know if we've really gotten before in season two. Right. Oz was kind of idealized, and it was just these small moments with him. But this, we get to see more of Oz's actual personality, and he's he's more of a character. He's a little yeah. bit of a character. He's like, yeah, I'm repeating my yeah. senior year. And and we have Cordelia coming oh, back. Oh, yes. And... She's so great. How's my hair? How's... She has a conversation. She's so excited to see Xander. Like, so excited mm-hmm. to see him, and he's so shitty. Yeah, oh. and she looks fabulous, too. I mean, she always like, does. It's to me like Charisma's... 
But yeah, she just sold everything. She's so like bubbly and, and likable. You know, it's like she's just kind of this the stuff that got set up at the end of season two about her and Xander. She's just like thrown out this whole like, you know, I'll date whoever the hell I want. And she's not even like putting on a pretense anymore. She's she's happy and it's beautiful. And then Xander's I mean, they're neither yeah. one of them are good at communication. And I totally get no. it. Xander right. has had no role model in terms of how to actually communicate. And he's a teenager. I yeah. get that. But like like they see each other and he's the one that's sort of again, we've talked about this. We talked about this recently that she's more into him. Like mm-hmm. he likes these, mm-hmm. you know, sassy, blunt women, but then he doesn't like you know what I mean? It's just like Xander mm-hmm. is not that into Cordy. He's it I mean I mean I think he's pretty into Cordy because look at Cordy. Like <laughs> what 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 like, like? Mm-hmm guy who likes women at that age wouldn't like how i like cordy you know what i mean i don't feel that bad mm. about like creeping on charisma in some of these episodes because she was like 30 so like i'm i'm like yeah You're looking good yeah. charisma i have no problem with creeping on any of I them know, right? they were all you know in their mid-20s yeah. sarah's so beautiful sometimes i'm gonna be bangalore right here i just want to die oh dear. i look at sarah i look at sarah and she's so beautiful. I just want to die. <laughs> can can I ask something? Mm-hmm. What what is Xander talking about when he asks if he looks he's being too geeky? <laughs> None of that seems geeky to me. No, like, what no. does that word mean in that context? Am I missing something, or is that just the really word, weird? I think it's supposed to be dorky. like the word should be TV geeky. The word should be dorky. You know what I mean? Like, I'm geeky. I'm also dorky. But, you know, there's a difference when I'm being Mm. one or the other, as you all can attest to. Right. But yeah, and then Xander and Cordelio, when they actually, like, meet up with each other, they're just like, had a good summer? Okay, bye. Yeah, that's honestly Uh, one part of this episode that does feel forced to me. Like, they're they're, they're pushing that so they can have the thing later when they... It's their snappy 30s, 40s... You know, comedy. Except not actually funny or good. True. It's not as good as... It feels very unearned. Yes, exactly. It's very forced. It's very clumsy. Like, there could have... like There probably was a a way to do that, but not like... But this is just... Yeah, it is. It is for an episode that is well-written and sharp and just sort of zippy. It's not. It it is. It's, It's the forced part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, comparatively. Yeah, been a, a good, awkward, like, reunion between the two of them, but this is not it. Yeah. Yeah. Three episodes ago, Cordelia was talking to a fish monster, saying how she was willing to stay with him, thinking that it was Xander. And now right. we're to this awkward, I don't know how to talk to you, or if we're actually dating, or what's going on. Well, but, well he's even, not a fish even monster. with her having gone to Mexico, that doesn't make any sense. So we get Buffy walking alone on the streets of L.A. And Lily coming up to her. And I was... And Lily talks about the, you know, different names that she's taken over the years. Um, and we don't find out what her real name is. And we clearly get the impression that... She came from an abusive mm-hmm. home and that she definitely, like, does not want to even think about uh, the world she came from. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, she says that Ricky picked the name from a song. And so I was trying to come right, up with I know, I've always tried what to... song it was. I was thinking of pictures of Lily from the, by the Who, but that's but probably... No. 
I I think I figured okay. it out. Um, based on the ages of Lily and Ricky, I think it's uh, Lily, my one and only, by the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, that's the one. Well, when did that's from? Is that from Melancholy? That's from Melancholy and Sadness. When did Melancholy come yeah, out? Yeah, I can't remember. It came out in 1995. Okay. That. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it totally so it's kind it of does. the right time. They and they seem like kind of like the types who would listen to Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, weren't we all? I don't know. Of course, the song is actually about a peeping tom. True, but but Lily, Lily and Ricky are really clueless. For about sure, shit, so. for sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like we got to eat healthy. Well, I love coffee, that. I so. love that. Yeah, because you know that 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 is a great bit. It is, and it's also a reason why it would just justify getting pie. I mean, I have to say, I, we'll probably talk about this when we get over to Angel, but I just, I, I kind of want to comment. So like, Lily seems really, how to say this without being mean, uh, kind of dumb as a box of rocks in this episode. Mm. And it, it, I'm really, I mean, knowing what comes later, I, I'm kind of surprised, I'm not surprised, but her, her transformation to where she winds up in Angel is kind of this whole story that we never get to see. And for me, it's sort of like, it's just presented to us and it would have been nice to have like one more step somewhere in there. I mean, they do seem kind of, I don't know. I think it's part of Lily's persona, you know, and sort of where she's at in her life and probably came from a great deal of abuse if she's left, you know? So I don't know. Yes, Mm -hmm. they do seem kind of not very smart, but She's been surviving all this time through being Sister Sunshine and part of a vampire cult. And I don't know. I, I think I would love to see a fanfic of just a short thing of Buffy and Anne finding, you know, meeting again and sort of how they both affected each mm-hmm. other through their journey. Because I think Buffy really, because Buffy's a hero. She gives yeah. her confidence to know that, and the pushing, we'll get that later, but the pushing of the Ken demon off the, you know, and actually finally actualizing mm-hmm. probably, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah she's kind of dumb. A story like that would probably resolve my issue. Yeah. With it. Yeah. I, I think also, I mean, I think she's just so insecure mm-hmm. and she's like, so, you know, that, that, that she may not be that dumb. She's just not thinking like she, cause she has no confidence in herself. So therefore she's kind of playing the dits. I mean, not, I don't mean that in a negative way. She's just kind of like not, using her brain on purpose because she's kind of like, trying, as you said, a persona, but she's trying to sort of kind of, and once she gets some confidence, all of a sudden she kind of like goes, Oh wait, I, I have a brain. I can think I can, you know, and she starts to also, to, to, even though it's not implicitly stated drugs, like they want to go yeah, to, I, a ra- say, I mean, yeah. they probably they little... do some drugs. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, like when Lily is talking, about her different names. Uh, she's talking about following like this loser preacher who named her sister Sunshine. So this is obviously somebody who has been in a cult. Yep. And she's been in two cults. We know that because, I mean, like Ford's thing was a cult. And then she's hooked up with Ricky. So this is, she is somebody who has always relied on somebody else to take care of her. And to tell her what to do. Yeah, and we we know that she's come from some form of abuse. We don't know what kind, but we know that there was abuse because she home is so bad that she doesn't even want to acknowledge mm-hmm. it. 
Uh, so I think she is just so beaten down that she is going to, you know, latch on to whoever will have her. And actually, I think they did something really nice with the naming of, uh, this character, um, as she goes through her journey. When she starts, she's Chanterelle, and she's this very exotic mushroom that, you know, delicate and in the dark, and, when she's Lily, it's also very delicate and something that needs to be taken care of. And then when she's Anne, she's not just Anne, she's Anne Steele. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll just ignore the Fifty well, Shades. Well, she was way uh, before Fifty Shades. Connotations, because yeah, it was way, way before, before that. But it's, you know, very utilitarian and very hard. So she grows as a... Strong, yes, she grows as a character. I would love to see a story just about Anne going from working at this diner to two years later trying to start a shelter and maintaining it specifically to keep people off the streets, to to keep them away from vampires and demons and all of this different kind of stuff. See, that's the thing. That story is exactly what I'm missing. I'm really surprised they never did a comic book of it, you know? I think we're meant to fill in our own details. And I think that's okay. I don't think it's a fault in storytelling. I think it's mad for the... Like, because if you did... I know people that didn't watch a lot of Buffy and actually started with Angel. So they kind of didn't have any of this history with Chanterelle, Lily, and then Anne. She was this person that shows up in Angel, you know, as her own character. And so I, I don't think it's a, a flaw in storytelling. I just think it's it's like one of those interesting. It's it's one of those things that we can wonder about, because obviously, like, she develops a very close relationship with mm-hmm. Gunn in the, those two years that we don't know anything about. Hell, she could actually be friends with Gunn now because he was living true. on the streets at this Her time. True. But the nice thing is she's such a strong character that, I mean, even not knowing you, you actually want to know. Like about things about her, yeah. like some other character, like yeah, whatever, you know. Yeah. So that, yeah. I mean, that's actually something positive about the actress and also the way she's written. Yeah. Care. Yeah, and so we we meet the first of the you know, use up runaways, who's now an old person and stepping in front of a car. Didn't we meet? Didn't Buffy see like the older yes. woman earlier who said, "I'm no one." Yes. And then we because that's the the connection when she suddenly says, "Wait." That's the same thing that the, the... I mean, she doesn't say it, but the implication is she figures out that there's a connection between the two. Yeah. Um, one thing I didn't figure out until this viewing, I didn't realize the guy was actually trying to commit suicide. Oh. Oh. I actually thought he was just wandering the streets aimlessly and mm. didn't notice the car. But then I realized it's like, wait, no, he stopped. He yeah. Like, yeah. stopped. Yeah. I mean, he's just spent a hundred years in a demon dimension, basically. Well, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's no reason for it, but I, I, I had never noticed that before. Now, I do want to know how that driver did not see Buffy. Yeah, because dude literally stopped in front of his car, and she pulls him out of the way, and the guy's just like, "I didn't see you there," and it's like, "Well, did you see the person like before her?" And after that, we get um, the first appearance of Ken. I love uh, Ken by so Carlos Jacob. Much. He's such a great one-off villain, and that's partially because of Carlos Jackoff. Mm-hmm. He's so freaking mm-hmm. good. I, yeah, he has the distinction of being one of the people who's been on three Joss Whedon shows. He's the first. Is he the one first of the hat trick? I think he's the first hat trick. 
I think so. Or is it Andy? Yeah. Yes, he is. I was just—I just saw that episode of Angel like a couple of nights ago. Yeah. My rewatch, and I was like, "Wait, this guy—I've seen him before." Oh wait, yeah. he's the, in the Bachelor Party. And he's on, and he mm-hmm. ends up on Firefly because yeah. he's—he's in this, so it's like the first episode, third season of Buffy. He's in like the seventh episode of Angel. The first I think. season of Angel, and on the mm-hmm. he's in the pilot of Sir, of yeah. Firefly, so he's like the first one to appear in any of I them. I mean, he. So. He, um, I mean, there is a reason they kept hiring him. And even when he just shows up in things on TV or a movie, like he was in something and I can't remember what movie it was. He was someone's smarmy agent or whatever. He's just great. He's just, he's really got mm-hmm. a presence. And I love that guy actors. Like I learn all the that guy actors names because I mm-hmm. just think they're, I, 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 he's fabulous. And he's so good in this episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, in all of his roles in the, the wider Whedonverse, he's always kind of playing the same role. And that's not trying to be detrimental to him as an actor, because I think he does do a nuance for each of them. But they're always this kind of nebbish and unassuming guy who turns out to be a monster. Yeah, and seemingly nice guy who then turns out to be... But he does it really well. So good. Like, I, he's one of the highlights of this episode for me. I just love him. And watching this episode, and especially, like, seeing the montage scene, it's clear that this episode is a backdoor pilot for Angel, which is really funny, because he's only in that one goddamn scene. But everything about this is setting up Los Angeles, and really kind of... And, I mean, like, they use shots from this in Angel. In the credits, yeah. In the opening credits of Angel, up up until the end. The woman standing on the side, the girl standing on the side of the road, looking all... You know, that is in, yeah, that's in the, that's in the opening credit sequence of Angel the entire time. Yeah. And, like, this is kind of setting up, like, these lost people who, which is what is going to become the main thing of Angel. Like, these people lost in the dark Mm -hmm. that he has to protect from demons. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, like, this, this is setting up Angel. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it in those terms because I was watching this and seeing it actually as a throwback to, like, message television of, like, the 70s. It, yeah, no, that's very huh. interesting. Like, the, the whole thing, like, all the, these kids on the street, that's a problem we have to deal with, and it's, like, the way those, see, like, those, just the thing when Buffy's walking down the street, and, and you just see all these shots of the the homeless, and the and it's like, oh, yeah, this is, like, the, the kind of hitting you over the head stuff you would get in the 70s when they decided they had to do a message episode. I, I don't disagree with you, Dave, but I really don't because I, I know what you're mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah. I mean, the metaphor is right. there. And, jo- and I, Joss being the same age as I am, it's like we both grew up watching yeah. this stuff. Yeah. But I, I think it could be both at the same time. Oh, no. Absolutely. Right, too. That, you know, it, it must have been in Joss's head, like, this is where he wanted to go with Angel as well without mm-hmm. it being message television. But right. The, the, right. Overall ambiance of the, the the episode and and the setups and all that. So uh, we get back to uh, the Scooby Gang trying to figure out how they're going to take out this gymnastic vampire. Why do I vampire. have to be and, <laughs> Well, I mean, it's like even before that, um, Xander, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you want your girlfriend to be bait? Like, that's I, and not. The thing is, a... Why do they even need bait? They're they don't all need bait. bait. They don't. It's, like it's so inherently sexist. It is. All him getting back at Cordy for the goddamn imaginary cabana boy. Yeah. And it just, 
this is where, like you were talking about how you didn't like Xander in the opening scene. This is where I'm just like, oh, for God's sake, Xander. What the fuck? I, I'm, I'm the same. It's like, I'm okay yeah. with him in the opening, but I, mean, I don't like him here. Again. Yeah. No, like I said, it's inherently sexist, too, because why do we need, you know, we're not in, I mean, we are, but we're not actually in a slasher film where we need the sexy chick to go lure the monster out of the, the dark. Right, and they're all right. bait. I just said, they're all bait at this point. Like, yeah. they're not good vampire yeah. slayers. Yeah. No, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not, they're not who they become in between seasons five and six. I think exactly. even by the end of this season, they're a lot more competent in fighting. Mm-hmm. What happened to all that military training that Xander know, supposedly it, got? Because well, he remembers it another time later, but it's because he's so focused on his freaking pettiness towards Cordy that he, yeah, it, there's no, it. and what, you know, and you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't even think about this before. Why the fuck aren't Willow and Oz? Like, that's not cool, man. Like, maybe not Oz. Oz, yeah. Oz, to say the Oz same doesn't thing. know them as well, but definitely, like, Willow is not part of the I Hate Cordelia Club again. They have a perfectly civil conversation. Like, yeah, Willow's like, yes, your hair is fine, but they actually have a, like, she doesn't say anything rude to Willow about how she looks or, like, why am I asking you about my hair? You know, like, they have a perfectly civil conversation earlier in the hall. So, like, why is... Why is Willow on board with this plan? I don't know. Because they're not very good at planning for killing vampires. But, you know, I just, they're they're shitty to Cordy. And there's a reason why she never talks to many of them again. And and at this point, also, there's no reason to be that shitty to Cordelia. She's actually proven herself. So it's really annoying. Yeah. They could just never decide what Cordelia's place in the curb is. I think it's... I think that's part of it. They wanted her as this sort of foil... In the first season, and then Charisma, the character, ended up being, like, popular, and, like, she had so much more nuance to her than I maybe they expected, and so it is. It was always, like, how do we fit her into our storylines? You know, how do we keep, because they obviously want to keep Charisma mm-hmm. around, because she's awesome, and she's hilarious, but what do you yeah. do with Cordy to really fit her in the group? And they never quite yeah. got there. Uh- I think that's why they so quickly decided to to have her move over over to Angel because they they had no idea. There's what all to do there's with more integration after. of Oz into the group naturally than there ever is of Cordy, and Cordy's been with them since the first season, since Prophecy Girl, where she drove her freaking car into the school. You know what I mean? Like she has mm-hmm. proven her loyalty and her worth and her goodness to them, and. Oz automatically, like Xander and Oz are already sitting together at the bronze and they're chilling and hanging out and Cordy mm-hmm. never gets that luxury and it pisses me the fuck off. Uh, Giles does not show up a lot in this episode, but he has a fantastic scene with oh, Christine wow, Sutherland yeah. after yeah. he comes back from Oakland, uh-huh. I believe it was, uh, trying yeah. to see if Buffy was there and it turns out there Just are no vampires bunch of weird there. kids listening to weird music. Yeah, and Basically, I think it's since Angel, when they first met, we've been waiting for this yeah. scene to them actually talking about Giles's relationship with Buffy. But, like, I've pointed this out so many times in the first and second season of the show. Like, I'm sorry, Joyce never had any, like, weird suspect of Buffy hanging out with this 40-something-year-old man. She was happy. She was happy that Buffy had a mentor. She was happy. She was like... 
so happy that Giles came to the hospital to check on Buffy. You know what I mean? Um, and yes, there was lying. There was lying. Mm-hmm. Not lying. Not outright lying about what Giles' real role in there was. But like, I mean, part of his watcher training is to keep the Slayers separate. And this is like this weird exception where Buffy refuse, not like flat out refuses to have her life completely derailed just by being the vampire slayer, right? By being the slayer. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, Joyce. I understand Joyce and I understand when you're so scared and don't know where your kid is, you're going to do a bit of lashing out. But while it's partially fair, it's like 25% fair and the other 75%. I'm like, Joyce, you didn't pay any fucking attention for these whole two years. Well, also... Yeah, I mean, also, when she says she doesn't blame herself oh, at all right? for, for Buffy leaving, it's like, yeah, well, what kind of screw you, Joyce. You literally said, yeah. if you walk out that door, don't come back. I mean, but I, no, I'm, I mean, I got really angry at that point. I mean, I, I understand where yeah. she's coming from because she's stressed and upset and her daughter's missing. And I mean, like, I get all that, but that's just utter denial. But we've discussed before that Joyce, I mean, and she's written very radically early on, too. She's not a really good parent. I mean, we've had these issues with her before, and I wanted to slap her. I was just like, what the is coming out of your mouth? I don't think either of them are wrong in this scene, and I don't think that's what it's about. I don't think it's about either of them being right or wrong. I think Joyce completely has a point that Giles, who is an adult... Oh, I, I don't I don't think that... Yeah, I don't think you're wrong about that. Giles certainly, her her saying that Giles holds responsibility for this is absolutely true as well. Yeah, I mean, like, I can see where both Joyce and Giles are coming from. And I think, like, Joyce might say that she doesn't blame herself, but she entirely blames herself. She She's obviously just not going to say it to she Giles. She obviously does. Yeah. It, it's, it is a reaction to, it, it's, it's. It's pushing your own guilt on someone else. I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're both kind of reprehensible at the moment because they're blaming each other. But is it? it's probably me, but it also felt like a little bit, and I think they changed it. It almost felt like they were trying to set up like the kernels of a ship between the two of them, or at least maybe that was yeah. not in, yeah. that they were going to fall into this arm, but there was something about the way they were. I don't know. Yeah. The, 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 or maybe it's just that they both have such great chemistry together that it kind of felt like. It could go somewhere, and then, you know, Kristen decided to leave, so it didn't happen, but I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't think Giles blames, does anything to blame Joyce, No, but, you know. Yeah. But uh, you know whose side I'm always going to take in a fight. Um, it, 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 it's it's going to be Teacher's Pet, right? It's, it's Xander, yes. <laughs> it's Xander, yeah. He's fantastico. Yeah. Well, she is a kitty, so that yeah. is possible. Exactly, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Oh. And so we get to, uh, in Buffy's next scene, we actually get to see her do some investigation, which we, I love seeing Buffy investigate stuff. Yeah, me too. Yes, but as she points out, she's terrible at undercover work. Yeah, which Which line. we kind of knew already. I mean, I've, I've certainly pointed out, it's like, she cannot do surveillance. We talked about that like two episodes she, ago. She though, can't she do surveillance to save her life. It is... <laughs> But it, it works. And also, that's like very Joss dialogue there, too, where somebody like, oh, yeah, fuck it. I'm just going to do what I have to do. So, But before we get to that, we Buffy finds Ricky and mm-hmm. he's dead. And mm-hmm. again, I never actually noticed this until this watch. There's like drain cleaner next to him. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Oh yeah. And, I, and it's like for some reason I just thought that was like random trash and it's like no, oh no. So this time going along it's like oh so all of these people are killing themselves after coming out because they have no idea how to deal with the actual Oh world yeah, being for sure. Out. Right. And yeah. also yeah. they're like, you know, homeless kids who suddenly come out and they're now and, and they've been through trauma and they're like, you know, 75 years old or something. So yeah. And when Buffy actually comes to tell Lily what's happened, my heart breaks at the way Julia Lee says, but he takes care of me. But he takes care yeah. of me every time. Yeah, no, that's... Exactly. Yeah, no, that's that's but a very powerful scene. My, in fact, my only problem with that scene is, why doesn't Buffy say, I know it's Ricky because he had the tattoo? I thought I thought she did. No, she didn't. She does. No, she did no. She so says he's dead. No, she goes, yeah. I know it's Ricky. It's definitely Ricky. She does not say it's definitely oh. Ricky because of the tattoo. Okay, maybe I just filled that in in my No, brain. no, because li- yeah. Lily is like, well, maybe you're wrong. And maybe you're right. It's like, no, he had the fucking tattoo. <laughs> yeah, but I think the thing is, it's like, no matter what Buffy was going to say, Lily was right, not Lily's going to believe it. No. Yeah, but yeah. I think that would have been a little more... Lily attacking Buffy uh, for, for yeah. you know, is, is it because of you? Like, are, are the bad things here because you are? So Yeah. And I think Buffy probably internalizes that and wonders, are they here because of me? Yeah. I mean, if we're looking at this as the way L.A. works, we know it's not. Yeah. Because we know the shit is going. At, at this point, though, if you're watching this without knowing all of Buffy and Angel... There, I think I wondered, like, is it because Buffy is there? Yeah. Does she, you know? Um, it's like it, she a magnet for bad shit, so. Right. She's a slayer. It almost makes sense, so. Initially, it was all, like, uh, Buffy's on the Hellmouth because that's where the activity is, but they kind of, mm-hmm. we, we've never seen anything happen outside of a place that Buffy's not been you know, Buffy's always been there. So, yeah, it could have been that, you know. It's it's like the, the paradox thing of, like, does the doctor save the day or does the bad shit happen because the doctor happened to be there? Which is sort of always a question. You know what I mean? Talking about, like, Doctor Who? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. another philosophical conversation for another time, but... I mean, of course, you could also get into the whole idea, and they do talk about this in Doctor Who as well, that the TARDIS is always taking the Doctor where he needs, and where he Buffy, needs to go. Yeah. where you're talking about, you know, like, this destined, you know, mission that she has. Are bad things there because... is she Does she end up in places that bad things are happening because that's her destiny? That's like the quantum leap thing also, that Sam leaps into places that he has to fix. So if there's, you know, powers that be that are pushing up, then maybe she's places she needs to be also. I mean, in this case, I, I obviously this is not the case. Um, I think part of it, that is line is to, because Buffy isn't still in this place where she just wants to forget, you know, the whole point of being there. So it's probably reiterating to her that she is responsible for all the bad things. Mm-hmm. And that's something she has to work through and overcome. And we know from the full universe, because we've all seen this, these shows, bad shit happens in LA. Yeah. And in the, in the world, bad things happen to teenage runaways in large cities. Like, which is, this is also sort of a heavy handed metaphor for in a lot of ways also. So, but yeah. I can I'm see how Buffy totally blames herself at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she does. 
Because that's what Buffy does. She blames herself. And I think Lily also, she's in denial. She's she's also lashing out a little bit. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, think... So that's, I mean, yeah. She, it just Everybody's messed up in this episode. For me. Yeah. And Buffy's so hard in these scenes. She's like, bad things happen to people. Get over it. I mean, those are... That is not actually her dialogue, but, like, that's sort of her mindset um, is... When you're in pain, when you're in grief, actually, even when you just have a cold, your pain feels so much worse than everybody else's pain, even though you know... you. you does that make sense? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And so Buffy's grief over Angel is still really... I always wish we got more of the repercussions of Buffy's time in L.A., you know, it seems to me that it's not, it's not like that growth and the fact that she took care of herself and had a job in an apartment for several months. Like they, they renormalize her into the world of Sunnydale and the world of high school and make her more of a teenager again. But she did have this experience where she's been totally on her own and self-sufficient. And I wish they'd explored that growth more when she got back to Sunnydale. But that's just right. me. Yeah, I mean, like, they don't even really address it when we get to season six and she's trying to find a job. Yeah. And, right. and all of a sudden she's, like, so inept. Yeah, it's like, yeah. why didn't she try to get a job waitressing instead of working at the Double Meat Palace? Because she knows how to do that, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, honestly, in season six, Buffy should have become a waitress at the Bronze. <laughs> well, and I'm sorry, not yeah. to be all lookist and stuff, but if you look like Buffy Summers, you can get a job as something other than... You can get a job at a, a like a, a nicer restaurant and make better tips, but whatever. Yeah. Um, right, and also she's good looking, so hostessing, you know. Would oh, actually, she wouldn't be able to get a job at a really fancy restaurant because you have to be able to serve liquor. And she's like, anyway, keep it moving yeah. on. That's too much logic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we have uh, the Scoobs going out after the uh, uh, Andrew. I want to say, um, was. yeah, Andy, yeah. Yeah, Andy. Yeah. Um, Who was a and, gymnast? And the only comment I have on on the brief little scene of them uh, coming is, yes, Oz, pull up your shirt to show off your arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> pull off your shirt to show off a lot of things. <laughs> anyway. I, yeah. candy, um, I candy for the Oz fangirls. Yes. Uh, and uh. Lily gets taken in by uh, Ken. Oh, we know he's evil. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we knew he was evil from his first scene. Like, yeah. it's really obvious. Well, he, okay, you know, he's that either evil or go was going to get killed. Oh, I think the first time I saw this, I'm like, he's bad. He's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah I, it, to me, it was like either he was the, he was either going to turn out to be something like really you know monstrous, or he was in league with other monsters. You yeah, know, he right. Was like a or something, because it just. It's he's like the frat boys and uh, reptile boys. Well, whatever. a couple of times we do subvert the trope, but it usually right. does end up with that person ending up dead. Uh, right. One thing I would like to know is, um, so the portal works so that a hundred years pass in one day. And this is exactly what is said on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it takes like six seconds for Buffy to go in after Lily falls through. So, several days should have passed. Mm. I mean, is it is it like the <laughs> what? Like this is like actual like this is fact. Like it's really nerdy fact. But well, um, I mean, wait, huh? It's the whole fairy lore thing. Well, because um, 
since time moves differently, Lily goes through the portal and then Buffy has a brief fight with Ken and then she goes through and Lily is still sitting in like on the floor like she's just arrived there. She's clearly just landed. Yeah. So but in that in that just short amount of time that Buffy or that Buffy was fighting with Ken. Several days should have passed because time was so fast. Now, now the only thing that I can kind of figure is that being that close to the portal, like the time kind of normalizes. Hasn't? Yeah, it's like an antechamber for the demon dimension. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Or if there's like a time vortex, it ripples out a little bit. Yeah. Love it. Well, wibbly wobbly tiny wimey. Yeah. Is what I have to say. Ball of stuff. Yeah. Shooty yeah. eye beam, wibbly wobbly. Oh yeah, no, no. It's it's <laughs> it's totally shooty eye beam because yeah, no, that this really doesn't make sense. Uh we're we're really I mean, we're trying to make it excuses for it, but it really it simply doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's simply it's a story convention that's necessary. Right. And and also conversely um, no, it's very good. I was going to say, like, shouldn't time, it have been more days when they come no. out of the portal? But no, 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 it works the other way around. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm getting confused. Yeah, and, but, but yeah, also, um, like, um, I, I get what they're, do- what they're saying with the runaways disappearing and everything, but the logistics of actually what the demons are doing kind of does not work. You know, I guess it's just never met. Ma- I, I even have a note. I wonder what the demons are doing. What's their thing? What are they selling? What's their product? And I decided it didn't matter. I mean, that's a, that doesn't bother me. But what bothers me is that it looked like there were like 30 kids or something there. So uh-huh. if they're working 30 kids for 100 years, that's still 30 kids a day. Which, if they're doing that every day, um, I mean, we don't actually... Of- well, we don't ever see any of the old people. Yeah. Right? There are 30 kids working in there, but like... It seems like they refresh them every day. Well, but for a hundred years, you would see the... they You, you know... There should have been middle-aged people there and older people there. And older people in like a mixture of ages working. But, you know, whatever, budgetary. Like, that I'll be willing yeah. to say budgetary stuff for. Yeah. I feel like there was some message about exploitation of workers in here that didn't quite land. Well, you know. have, a like, hammers and sickles. Sickles, and yeah. Yeah, like exactly. Like, it's, yeah. It's, it's there. I mean, the, the, I mean it's there. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah like, no, it's definitely there, but it just, like I said, I don't think it quite landed. It was just something. It doesn't, but. Yeah. But I don't think it's important that it lands. Uh, I, because, I honestly, yeah. like, this whole thing... It's not so much about, you know, Buffy versus the demons. It's about Buffy reclaiming her identity. It's Buffy versus herself. Right. Yeah, you have these demons who are, you know, crushing these children to, you know, convince them they're nobody. And you have Buffy looking up and saying, I'm Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And that's only one of two times she's actually said the phrase, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The Vampire Slayer. And it's mm-hmm. really powerful. I, yeah, it's, and it's, it's, yeah, I love, yeah, I love, I, you know, yeah, it, it is her reclaiming her own power, mm-hmm. not just as a slayer, but as Buffy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not time to move on, because she did go through, like, a huge trauma, like, with Angel, so much so that we all cried about it on that episode, but um, it is powerful. I yeah. always get the chills when she says... And Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. No, I mean, like, actually, when you look at the plot of this episode, it's very thin, 
But yes. that's very much intentional. Mm-hmm. Because Absolutely. this is not about the episode's plot. This is about the plot of the sh- of this season, of mm-hmm. last season, of the show itself. It's it's Buffy becoming Buffy again. So I think that absolutely. I do like that. For once, we they they kind of mix things up by giving us um a demon who's in disguise, but he's not a shapeshifter. He has literally glued a mask to his face. <laughs> so can I say, obviously their budget, like I have to praise this. This makeup is so good. Yeah. They've gone from true. their prosthetics. They're using actual prosthetics where the actors can move and emote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not a rubber mask anymore. They're not rubber masking. Yeah. Like, and I, and I even wrote a note to myself to look this up did their makeup staff change and it didn't it's still todd mcintosh and john Vulich. Mm. rest in peace he was amazing man Mm -hmm. and an amazing effects artist i don't i could not find information if their workshop studio changed Mm. like because i know they changed from like something to optic nerve to like during Mm. the course of the like who was doing their outsource like does that make sense they're outsourcing in some of the i think at the the very least they got more money well no i think that's that's what i was gonna say is for sure they had more to work with this is when uh, todd mcintosh and john volish's makeup they're able to show their intense skill instead of just outsourcing mask making like or creature making like um uh the go fish dudes and the like they actually have they're able to use probably their significant skills with more budget to mm-hmm. create prosthetics and like right and these prosthetics read so like I've done a little movie makeup like I'm obsessed with movie makeup I'm so impressed like I cannot say enough about I love I and I love the different demons I love the Ken demon and then the other demons with like the half faces like I'm so fucking in love with the makeup design in this episode I can't even handle it. And John Vulich, I was going to say, he was doing Babylon 5 before this. Um, and I think up until this time. And so he got a lot of work. I mean, if you watch B5, the, a lot of the alien makeup, there's a lot of emotion. And so I think he used that and was finally able to uh-huh. do Buffy, which maybe they didn't have the... the With the budget, yeah. Before. Yeah, yeah no. He definitely had, you know, the, the characters on B5, like most of them were aliens. And there was a lot of like good acting and a lot of good emotion. Vulich is grumped up as great. Also, just... From a person, I don't know, when his face fell off, I made like a Wade Wilson joke. For some reason, there was just like a Deadpool. <laughs> well, I was watching this, which I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Ken. Yeah. You know, you're, you're no Wade Wilson. But <laughs> yeah, well, I think that we will notice, like, if we see seasons one and two, those were very, very vampire heavy. But oh, from yeah. now on, yeah. we're going to see a lot more variety in the stuff that, uh, like next episode is going to be zombies, and then a couple episodes there's uh, going to be the like the Jekyll and Hyde guy, and then we've got the um, uh, in Homecoming there's you know the the Ku Klux of the Meekwok clan or whatever the 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 dude with the, the guy that hands. shoots the yeah, yeah. Out of yeah. his hand. So we are getting um, a lot more of these like big you know, demons that need to be like invented specifically for the show. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not just like, let's throw a bumpy forehead on somebody in a pair of fangs. So yeah, I definitely think we're getting into like some really good makeup. And there's going to be some great makeup design. I don't know. For some reason, 
These demons in this episode are just some of my personal top 10 favorite Buffy demons. Probably because, like, I'm a huge Hellraiser fan and the that kind of, you know what I mean? That stretch skin thing. It looks is, stitched together. Yeah. Kind it's of. just, like, I really like that makeup design. Again, I'm a huge of the first two Hellraiser yeah. movies. The other ones wouldn't go away, but... I really like that makeup. I like that kind of makeup design yeah. for creature stuff. So that's just a personal yeah. preference. But I had to point out how fucking gorgeous it is. Gorgeous so it is. we've gotten to the fight scene with Buffy, you know, fighting with yeah. the hammer and the hunga munga. It's actually not like a, a sickle. They do point that out. I know, but it looks sickly. Well, yes. And yeah. actually, I think that's yes. what they were going for. But uh, it was a hunga munga. Really um, like the word hungamunga. Like, I know. It's super I do like, Hungamunga. Yeah. It's like when Daniel Lyon on Mister Rogers says Ugamunga, but it's a weapon. Yeah, and it's such <laughs> a great so shot of her holding both of them, and that power shot. I, the, that yeah. is like one of my favorite Buffy power shots. Oh uh, no. Buffy. Um, it's uh, like Mister Rogers, but with weapons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and. Like, when it comes to the fight scene, me. I actually think that Joss did a pretty good job with the... the I do, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The I mean, matching is so much better. It's not perfect, I, but no. it's way better than Becoming Part 2. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw the... Like I said, I, I noticed the uh, stunt person a few times, but it still... It, it floated. It was okay. It was, like, very, like... Yeah. I mean, I also think... I mean, I also... Sophie, it's Sophie Crawford, it's, right? It's still Sophie, Sophie Crawford. Crawford, yeah. It's still yeah. called Sophie Crawford, who I think is like amazing and such a good movement match. But I actually think they're letting, and I know they made this big deal back in the day that Sarah does a lot of her stunts. She didn't. They needed to give Sophia way more credit. But in this case, I think they're letting Sarah do more establishing shots and the wide shots and the and the like power kicks. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And some of the, I just think they're blocking better mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of what they're going to show Sarah doing and what Sarah's body's doing, as opposed to having it be all Sophia Crawford. Mm-hmm. And I think they got Sophia better wig. Yeah. yeah. The wig matches actual Sarah's hair. Or they maybe just get rid of the same haircuts. Uh, there's one shot where I, I sort of like went, that's a wig, so maybe not, but they still matched it. Yeah. Thing. I mean, I accept that we're all at some point going to see a stunt double and it's yeah, going to be not, obvious. it's not like it oh my god this is so bad you know yeah. oh look it's you know it, it's a it, it's somebody's chiropractor with a cloak over there yeah. and we're <laughs> and we're also still talking about a fairly low budget show on the wb right. network and not a spielberg production right. where like that it can be perfectly matched and you can take months in editing to get just the right footage but it is so much better. Joss's yeah. blocking is worlds better than yeah. that fight in Becoming Part 2. Like, yeah. worlds better. I'm really into... Also, because there's only one person to match. Yeah. Right? There there's, is that's that. also part of it. There's not... Like, you've got guys... You've got stuntmen. Stunt, yeah, they were all men. Stuntmen in, in character makeup. So you don't have to match them with stunt doubles mm-hmm. you just have right. to match Buffy with her stunt double so but I, I love this fight it's one of my favorites yeah. and, and Buffy's it's amazing a really good one. and it's got like my favorite I love this bit at the end where you show Lily's growth by having her yeah, I mean she doesn't kill Ken thing. but she might as well have 
I'd kind of forgotten that she hadn't at first. And then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, yeah, Buffy does the whole Gandhi wait, thing. How do, you, how do you forget because of the Gandhi line? Because <laughs> it's been a while since I watched this episode. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, usually I have a problem with, like, if Buffy is fighting her not taking out the bad guy. But in this, it makes so much sense it that Lily is the does. one to step up. Because she does it entirely because of Buffy. It's also, it's such a simple thing. It's like the Indiana Jones thing where he just pulls out the gun. I mean, granted, she doesn't kill him, but she just gives him a shove because she's had it. And it works. You know, it's a very mm-hmm. simple, she's suddenly doing an elaborate plan or suddenly becoming, you know, Xena warrior. Lady. No, it's, it's a. She's just like, oh my God. Blah. It's like, which is, it's very organic and it works really nicely. Yeah, I think, I think also like it's, it's actually a back and forth because she's inspired by Buffy to take action. Exactly. But yeah. I think yeah. Buffy also, because she Buffy's being held by the, the guards at that point, and she's not doing anything, and she's considering the fact that Ken may kill someone if she doesn't give up, and Lily takes action, and that, I think, spurs Buffy on to go, oh, okay, I can, I can do this. I, like, we're, we, we can all work, do this together. We talk a lot about how Buffy is such a different slayer because of her friends. Mm -hmm. In this episode, she has none of those friends to back her up. But in the end, the thing that gets her re-motivated, and they're not friends forever, but Mm. she meets a new friend. She meets someone, and they become, in just this short little time, part of each other's team. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's not Buffy fighting and being I mean, fighting alone, being alone, working alone, living alone. Right. She, for that just little bit of time that she's with Lily, she has support and she has backup. Yeah. And I you think know. that's part of the theme of the show in general. It is. It is. That's and it's... character that she's not, she, you know, she's not an island unto herself. Yeah. She has to, she needs her people and she needs her the support because we all work together to fight the evil. We're not like all mm-hmm. isolated, which is... And th- and this happens to be a time when she needs to learn that lesson. Yeah. yeah. Because she's isolated herself recently. And if you look at things over the course of both series and the ripples that go out from, you know, Buffy saving uh, Chanterelle in Lie to Me and then, you know, helping inspire Lily to become Anne in this, that goes on further where you have Anne later on helping, you know, runaways, kids on the street, which leads to her helping Gunn and his crew of vampire hunters enough so that, you know, Gunn considers her like the one person he wants to visit on his last day on Earth. On his last day on Earth. I know that kills me every fucking time. So, and that, you know, further goes, you know, Gunn, you know, being supported by her ends up moving on to working with Angel and becoming a champion of the powers that be. So this, all of this comes, this starts from Buffy and kind of ripples out and Buffy, you know, it's probably changed in the comics, but she never fucking met Gunn. I know. I, oh, too bad. I, ooh, yeah. I ship that. <laughs> I constantly started shipping that mainly because it's like pretty people. It's really maybe. hot. Yeah, it's like, like I'm like yeah that I'm like whoa J August Richards and say ooh he's still very good looking by the way oh yeah yes, he's he so is, incredibly yeah he's on um I I didn't like Agents the show of, I noped he, out he but. was on Agents of Shield I don't know if he's back again he's on that Kevin saves the world which is oh is he show yeah. with oh, okay, with uh, J- Jason Ritter uh, what yeah. uh, Kevin Ritter no what's his name it's Jason Ritter 
Jason Ritter, mm-hmm. I, who I really, yeah. really. The uh, like. last thing I saw him on was Agents of Shield. Yeah, yeah, same here. So. He's lovely. I'm oh, sorry. Shout out to J. August Richards, who is we both a really great actor and super pretty. He is super um, pretty and he's super funny he's too. Super, yeah, he is super funny. He's a chain reaction, which is beautiful, as you were saying. Yeah, and then we get the really weird Gandhi joke. But I really weird, but I love, love it. So I love I the Gandhi joke because it's it's it. it's not even a joke. It's really it's, not. it's completely it's like so absurd, and I happen to love that kind of thing. But I it's do like too. I do too. I love sort of absurdist. Yeah. I guess my favorite genre of like, it's it's kind of this thing where it's like you you're you're you you get halfway into a joke and then just go fuck it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's like that joke should be written down and like put up in the Museum of Modern Art just because it's of like so ridiculous. Jokes. I mean, it's next ridiculous. to a urinal. Yeah, Sarah, it's... Sarah delivers it really well, and it's such a Joss joke. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's so. so... He writes a great one-liner. I also, the other line that I really love, no, it's not the line I love. It's Sarah's delivery. Um, it's like the one about, um, hey, what's with all the sin? <laughs> yes. She knocks on the door. And yes. Like, you know, with the with the sex and the, <laughs> like, just the way she says, what's with all the sin? <laughs> I just, I love that too. And it's just, it's, that's, that's great. That is a wonderful also- bit. That it's is also great dialogue, yeah. and it's where she says, "I suck at undercover." I, yes, I, yeah. Sarah, I, it's very serious episode for her in terms of character growth, but she's still. Oh, she, I, again, Jaws's writing is so good. So the comic, so sometimes written by other people, the dialogue isn't as zippy, and I don't mm-hmm. hate the dialogue. Everybody has a different style, but this kind of zinger stuff really just mm-hmm. highlights how great. All of these actors are even Carlos Jackot, right? Mm-hmm. He's got yeah. great the way he delivers that line about you've got guts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to open you up and like ah yeah. Uh, yeah. Even the line about oh I'm glad my face fell off because it was a pain to pain to put right. I like, yeah. there's just like the the dialogue is there, but the actors giving the dialogue you have to have right. a good and even there. That's why I love this episode so much. The plot is super simplistic. Mm-hmm. Super but it's supposed simplistic. to be. But it's yeah. supposed yeah. to be. But they have one of the, I think, one of the best one-off villains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ken's he's very really good. good. I, he's a great, yeah. I love Ken. He's like yeah. one of my very favorite one-off villains in the entire series. And I didn't realize how much I loved him until we watched and how much I love this episode. Yeah. And mm. Julia love Lee is it. fantastic in She's this. great. She I is think she great. worked more. I looked on her IMDb and her between jobs is not much. Like, that's mm-hmm. why she was available to come back on Angel, because she doesn't have. I looked and she she has something listed for 2016, but. Huh. Yeah, and I know she did like voices, either cartoon voices or video games. She too. might did. She might. You know what? She might do cartoon voices. I didn't check that out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She yeah. might be doing that. But I just really love the moment when she uh, says, can I be Anne? It's just, it's such an innocent moment. And it's It's so loaded because, and I mean, it's almost the same sound in her voice when she said, but he takes care of me. Because when she says, can I be Anne? Basically what she's saying is, you know, can I be you? Can I, you know, have your strength? And I think Anne does find this strength, which we will see throughout Angel, when she's very, very forceful with, like, she goes toe-to-toe with Angel. 
and yeah. is like not giving him any any quarter like mm-hmm. she's just like yeah i know vampires are real whatever i don't care um and we will get into that when we get to blood money but yeah she becomes so tough but think about it. Everybody else has named her before this, and this time she is asking, oh, this is what I want to call myself. Mm-hmm. I am claiming this persona. It's not something that, you know, crazy, yeah. uh, her, you know, crazy cult guy gave me or that my boyfriend gave me or whatever. She's claiming this persona mm-hmm. for herself, and it's, it's, it's almost ritualistic in that, you know, can I call myself this? And right, and, it, and it's... A strong moment. In a way, it's, it's, it's almost as though she's saying, like... Can I be you so I can take care of myself? Right. Yeah. Right. And it's not Buffy saying, do you want to be Anne now? Mm-hmm. She yes. Says, can I be Anne Yeah, now? that's what I'm saying. It's all her and... claiming this this persona for herself instead of being put, it's something being put upon her by some by somebody who's taking care of her. Now she's mm-hmm. finally claiming her own pers- persona. Mm-hmm. Her own. I mean, this is the reason why I am such a fan of Buffy herself as a character and really don't like it when people are like oh yeah she's like the most boring character in the show i'm like she's not because she is my hero and even with that i mean she she inspires lily to become Anne, but she's also inspired she's a kind person Mm. and i think that gets lost a lot of times when people talk about buffy she's like i don't know i just fucking love her and you know that yep Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, after she saves Lily's life, she has absolutely no obligation to, like, make sure that Lily is okay and that, you know, she has a job and everything. I mean, obviously, we know that Buffy is moving on, but she's like, you know, you know, take over this apartment, take over the job and take over the name. Can we talk about the last scene? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is such a short scene, but I cried. I mean, part of it is because of goddamn Kristoff Beck. Fuck you, Kristoff. You're <laughs> <Yes>. amazing. <laughs> um, right? But just like, because I'm, they don't say anything. It's just, it's just Kristoff Beck's m- music. And then just, then uh, Joyce and Buffy like looking at each other and then hugging. And I was just like, it's beautiful. I, just, I know it is. It is. It's, it's a lovely she has to be back there by the end of the episode. Yeah. We have yeah. to get her from L.A. And that's why the plot is so simplistic, because we have to see scenes of Buffy and what her life has probably been like for a couple months and get her through and past and all the demon business with the lost souls, you know, and the people being used up and being nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Buffy feeling like that. But, you know. We have to get her to the point where she's at that door. And if yeah. you don't get her back in Sunnydale by the end of the episode, it's a bad episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, it works. But you also have to see in a way that I think that because Buffy's running away from things in Sunnydale, including like responsibility. Then she goes out into the bigger world and finds out, wait, it's still here. It may be a different kind of demon. It may be a different kind of big bad, but there's still something there. So no matter where she goes, she's going to wind up being the savior anyway so she goes home she can't deny that part of herself that is the hero and not because she's the slayer because she's buffy Mm -hmm. right exactly yeah uh so i guess that brings us to the end of this episode so uh final thoughts on things Um, i think i've said all i have to say mm -hmm. it fires and the makeup is freaking amazing the villain is really great the dialogue is amazing the way the team the gang acts together 
what you know Buffy and Liz. I, it's a great. I you yeah. know what this is going on maybe one of my top ten. I I love this episode. Yeah, I could see that. Like this is a really really strong episode, and I think you're right. I think this is the best of the um uh, season. Premieres. I think this is an unsung episode. I don't think this mm-hmm. one ends up on a lot of best of lists. But... I was just gonna ask because I, I mean you're more cognizant. I don't think I see a lot of people talking about it, but they should. I Michael Gershman, who we've talked about because we loved mm-hmm. his work on uh, Passion and was the director of photography. This was his favorite episode. Wow, oh, I can okay. see why. Yeah. yeah, I can see why. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I I think Joss was fond of this episode, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's always fond of the episodes that he writes and directs. But you know, well, um, I mean, I'm more shock. fond of the plays I produce than the plays well, yeah. I was just in. Well, yeah, I uh, mean, like it's just something we humans do. Yeah, and also because um, he gives himself the the heavy hitters because it's his show. Why shouldn't mm-hmm. he? Also, and his IP, I I would be really proud of it. If I was him, because it, it is like a huge step forward in his visuals and his directing style and learning how to use the, use the camera. And it's like the beginning of the seeds of what, okay, Joss does have some repetitive directing shit now. But so does Steven Spielberg and so does Scorsese. And so everybody, everybody has their quirks. Yeah. So it is, he's starting to develop a style. Yeah. Yeah, he's really starting to develop that style. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this is much more a Joss episode directorially than anything he's done previously. Yeah. yeah. So, mm. yeah. No, I mean, like, I would actually have to go through the list of episodes. This is at the very least top 15, if not top 10. Yeah. yeah. This is definitely yeah. it's memorable for me. David, at final thoughts? Um, I do have a question, just to be sure. I'm pretty sure this is true. We, we, we don't ever hear that. Buffy actually does call to see how Lily's doing, like she says she do, will. Does do we? No, there's uh, no, no, no indication happens, whatsoever. No. I I, I kind of hope they like you know keep in contact like once or twice a year and everything, and then like two years down the road, like Lily or Anne calls her up and is like, "Yeah, I met this really fucking weird vampire dude." He's like, <laughs> yes. And Buffy's like, "Look, don't get involved with him. Whatever you do, don't get, stay as far away." From <laughs> don't um, don't ever sleep with him. Yes. Don't ever sleep with that dude. Don't. <laughs> also, because because Anne is totally Angel's type. Oh yeah, she, he loves a willowy blonde. Or yes, like, not yeah. willowy, but Buffy's not willowy, but. He loves a petite blonde, that he guy. He does. He does like a petite blonde. Okay, so music notes for this episode. We had mm. uh, Back to Freedom by Belly Love, and that's the, the song at the bronze. Uh, that's Sorry, Depression Night that's at the bronze. Depra- <laughs> which it totally is. I'm like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That's like a Wednesday night, nothing going on at the bronze. I like that song, though. It's all right. It's a little... And uh, Christoph Beck did a couple of things in this episode, but only one of them is named, and it's Deliverance. That's how you play dueling banjos in my house. I know all about you and your meowing to songs. Yes. I'm adorable. You are. Okay, so I think um, that's it for this week. And next time we'll be reviewing Dead Man's Party. So until then, grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the 
podcast, and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. We have a couple of comments from our previous episodes. Cassie Grace said, I can't wait to hear the next episode, which was the Becoming episodes, as it's one of my favorites and look forward to hearing everyone's views. Well, I really hope you enjoyed those podcasts. We really enjoyed doing them. Becoming is, you know, some of our favorite episodes, as uh, you would have heard later on in our wrap-up. Also, this podcast that all of you guys are doing this helps makes housework seem easier. I definitely know that feeling. I love listening to podcasts when I'm doing my own housework. So we're really glad that we're able to help you out on that, Cassie. And thanks for writing. Uh, We also heard from our friend Rachel. I start to cry when I see Buffy start crying after stabbing Angel and the music starts every time. Oh, yeah. No, um... Uh, it's freaking deadly that scene at, in Becoming Part Two. You no, know, uh, Christoph Beck's music is just so good, and the acting from Sarah and David is just incredible. It's like even if you don't care about the Bangle relationship, you're just gonna be a puddle of emotions because it's it's just even right now I'm starting to get a little uh, verklempt. So uh, thank you for writing, and everyone uh, keep writing to. Us. If you'd like your questions or comments read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube, Tumblr, and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, on Twitter at Hellmouth Return, or on email at returntothehellmouth at gmail.com. We'll read those comments on the show. Also, be sure to rate our show at iTunes and Stitcher, and check out our show merchandise at Tee Public and Redbubble. See you on Tuesday for Dead Man's Party. Grr, arg.